Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers We are back with another edition of State of Economy podcast where we will talk about the major trends in the startup and VC ecosystem In March the startup world saw major developments that left both founders and investors on edge The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank a preferred banking partner for many startups caused a lot great deal of concern and uncertainty On top of that the funding winter took a toll with several live startup IPOs being postponed or reduced in size join us as we explore the implication of these recent developments and what they could mean for the startup ecosystem moving forward we have with us Arun Natarajan founder of Venture Intelligence a private market intelligence company and Sagar Agarwal co-founder and managing director of Beams Fintech Fund welcome Arun and Sagar thank you for joining us today Pleasure to be on the podcast. Arun, can you give us an overview of the startup funding activity in the month of March as compared to February? And also, can you compare it to March 2022? Sure. It makes sense when we look at these numbers to separate between what goes into the larger, more mature startups and, you know, the early stage funding. So we tracked about 50 venture capital type investments overall in the month of March worth about $860 million dollars. This was dominated by Lenskart's raising of almost half a billion dollars from ADIA or the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. And that was followed by Mintify, which raised $110 million round by, led by Premji Invest. So the good news, obviously, is that, you know, uh, month on month, uh, we are seeing an uptick compared to February, we just saw one $100 million deal in the form of fresh to home. We are now at two. And overall as well, you know, the volume of deals has gone up by 16% and the value is down, you know, also up by 60%. Uh, compared to March 2022, it will look unfavorable because that was still, you know, go-go days in terms of funding. The winter had not set in. So we are actually 62% lower in terms of volume and as much as 74% down in terms of value. So it's kind of good to see that things are seeing an uptick and the following months will show how things, you know, pan out even further. Got it. Uh, Arun, can you also give some sector specific trends in terms of which sector did better? Sure. You know, so in the increasing, uh, you know, flow between B2B and B2C, we continue to see enterprise technology, especially SaaS startups, you know, getting more of the share of the pie. So this month, you know, March, interestingly, was the turn of health tech startups, you know, in the uh, health clicks, for example, which is in the EMR, you uh, know, medical record space, attract as much as $22 million. And some of the other familiar companies, sick to pull, et cetera, which also play in the enterprise, you know, and the health tech space, uh, you know, attracting more capital. Uh, FinTech SaaS, again, has been a, a beneficiary of the B2B orientation of investors. You know, Growfin is a good example. FinShare, which does API kind of stuff in FinTech space. And other verticals which serve other SaaS companies, uh, you know, houseware as an example. And then hiring-focused, you know, SaaS companies like 
super higher and so on. So uh, at least we've tracked 10 investments in enterprises, 20% of the overall pie. And like last time, you know, fresh to home and now this month lens cut, vertical e-commerce seems to be getting back into fashion. I know we are seeing, you know, companies like, you know, in the fashion space, the sold store, you know, they attracted a $16 million round and so on. So vertical e-commerce, enterprise technology, SaaS specifically, and obviously FinTech. Uh, FinTech is gaining, Mintify is an example. Growfin I spoke about. In the Ed FinTech space, there is a company called GreatQuest, which raised as much as $7 million. In the payment space, Nimble raised capital. Uh, so in the sense of, and again, you have these very mature FinTech companies like PhonePay, Insurance, Deco, they've all raised a lot of capital, but in the early stage, it is good to see some of these FinTechs with some of the regulatory issues you know, kind of settling down, coming back into the flavor. And the last segment I would say is climate tech, starting with EV to you know, companies like ARM in the solar financing space, and they are all getting their you know, share of the pie as well. Given that we have spoken about equity rounds, uh, was there also debt rounds uh, in the funding deals that you have tracked? Uh, what is the percentage of debt rounds uh, last month? Sure. So broadly speaking, you know, uh, venture debt is the one that is relevant, you know, for the startup ecosystem. And some of these players have been quite active, uh, whether it is Innoven or Altiria and so on. Uh, in this space, you know, both during the GoGo days of 2021, where they were, you know, part of uh, the larger equity rounds. Uh, in the current environment, you know, where there is a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, kind of wait and watch for startups who do not want to take, let's say, a down round in terms of valuation. They are looking to these venture debt players to extend their runway to that extent. And obviously, given the environment, the venture debt folks are being that much more extra scrutiny is being you know, placed to see which companies have cash flows which are sustainable. And quite interestingly, in some of these cases where the vertical e-commerce and fintech interest is coming back. So while it is not a large you know, portion of the overall equity because companies need to shore up their capital as well, companies which really have you know, cash flows, they are taking the support and some of these venture debt funds are newly raised capital as well. They are deploying it, but far more care. So in probably every venture deal, you know, between 10 and 20% of you know, these deals are an intermix of equity and debt and a few rounds. You know, Stashfin is a good example where there was a large 100 million, just a venture debt, two guys coming together to you know, back this company, which is in a, again, a consumer loan kind of space. So that's you know, my take on the venture debt. It is increasing. It is helping at the right time and it's become a big asset class by itself in India. Thanks, Arun. Thagur, would you also like to weigh in on the debt rounds trend? The venture debt has always been a capital supporter to portfolio companies, right, to avoid dilution. As Arun rightly mentioned, uh, globally it's played an important role. Uh, just one differentiation I would like to highlight, uh, Yati, is that India is not uh, very is not similar to US and European markets, where debt plays a very important role and the cost of capital is extremely low. In India, the cost of capital is very high. Right, so the venture debt has to justify the risk that they are taking on the balance sheet, right? Uh, and they're interested that they're charging for the portfolio companies. They have to justify both the ends. If you look at some of the deals recently, which did not do very well in the market, right, and where uh, there was a significant number of venture debt involved in that company, 
I think that company is getting sold at 10, 12 million dollars today to investors, right? And we all know which company we're talking about. And I don't think venture that people are going to recover their capital in this. So if, if you look at 23 as a year, if there are a lot more situations like these where companies get sold for much lesser than the equity rounds they raised, I feel that there will be a challenging time for venture debt guys. So it, maybe it's time to relook at their business models and see how venture debt will do in India in the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at India overall, we don't have uh, mezzanine funds. We don't have credit opportunity fund. We have two, three fund managers who are doing that in the, uh, in the past 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. So I think the market is, I do, I'm not sure if this market is ready for a large portion of continuous venture debt. Because venture debt is under the impression that the companies will raise more equity rounds and get eventually paid from the equity capital that the company is raising and not free from the cash flows. I think venture debt managers will have to start underwriting whether the company will generate cash flow to pay the debt for their uh, to pay the interest in the principal back. Sagar, we also wanted to talk about some major events last month. One of the biggest was the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Can you talk a bit about what was SVB's relation to Indian startups? How much exposure did these companies have and the impact on the ecosystem when, when this collapse happened? So I think Silicon Valley Bank was a major event in the global financial market, right? Thanks to Fed, it did not lead to a large contagion um, globally. Those small, some of the smaller banks did come under the fold for restructuring slash uh, bankruptcy to an extent, right? If it wasn't for Fed, it would have had a larger repercussion on the entire tech ecosystem. A lot of Indian startups that had branches in Delaware or that had set up a office in Delaware to attract global capital, most of their capital being raised in the US markets and was keeping their capital in the Silicon Valley Bank. And as soon as the Silicon Valley, Valley Bank had a run on their deposits, from players who were who had kept money, including uh, retail investors, HNI investors, companies, startups, as soon as there was a run on the deposits of the bank, the bank suddenly fell short of capital. And the startups which were there from India, who had Delaware-based companies and had kept money with the bank, could have had major impact, but it wasn't bailed out. Their capital would have been stuck for years. Long story short, we were all fortunate. I think global markets were fortunate that U.S. government did step in and allow all the ecosystem to be saved from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Otherwise, the impact would have been substantial. So imagine the double impact of uh, startups not having access to liquidity. And second, the fund managers are deploying capital and startups also getting stuck with because their money is lying with Silicon Valley Bank. So that entire collapse of both the capital would have had a huge run on the ability of the companies to raise new capital, all these companies would have had to come back to the market to raise new capital. And some of the LG, uh, fund managers who were sitting also with the Silicon Valley Bank would have not been able to fund these capital calls, right? So the impact would have been massive. Uh, but right now, it's a passe event. Got it, Sagar. That gives your perspective, yeah. Uh, Arun, would you like to add uh, to this? Yeah, indeed. Like Sagar said, you know, this is a vehicle pickup call for the global ecosystem and you know just the following weekend to that we saw the credit suisse episode also happen mm-hmm. so started becoming jittery weekend upon weekend to that extent you know uh, the the clear lessons you know for startups as well is how you know you choose your domicile quite carefully right so one is there were quite a few startups a lot of them were obviously SaaS companies and they needed a front end in the U.S. and you can very well understand, you know, they have a Delaware presence, customers in the U.S., cash flow is in the U.S. But there were quite a few other companies which had all India businesses. And just because one well-named investor in Silicon Valley wanted you to set up an, you know, U.S. company just to receive their money, 
you know, that cost half of this uh, set of companies that got affected. So I think companies need to be now very careful and, you know, realistic in terms of where they want to domestic, especially since enough domestic capital is available from even INR money and as well as the gift city option is available. Uh, companies just need to be more careful and also clearly diversify when it comes to global banking options. Thanks, Arun. Coming back to you, Sagar, wanted to speak about you one other thing that's been happening in the funding winter, which is the impact on the IPO plans that startups had. We saw these reports about Mama Art and Ixigo halting their IPO plans. There was another report which said OYO might cut down their proposed IPO by two-thirds. I wanted to sort of reflect on this trend and, you know, what kind of future implications do you see here? Do you expect more companies to have the similar fate? I think it's a combination of two things, Yati. One, are the markets ready for high-priced IPOs? Question number one, right? right. I personally believe that uh, given the performance of the last 16 tech IPOs in India, markets are a little jittery about loss-making companies going for IPOs. Markets are say are asking for and especially retail investors and mutual fund investors and insurance companies investors, which are large investors generally in the capital markets, uh, are asking for portfolio companies to come at reasonable valuations, leave some money on the table for the investors, and that's when you will see a large acceptance for the IPO. At the same time, given that the founders are trying to maximize their valuation while going for an IPO, they will consistently get a pushback. Uh, from the public market. Because public market is not like private markets where valuation can be justified in two years' time as long as you keep growing for the next two years. So definitely, I think, uh, especially companies like Mama, which I believe was uh, definitely overpriced compared to listed players in the market, there, there will be pushback. There are a lot of IPOs still happening in the offline space. And if you look at the public markets, uh, DRHP being filed and the RSP being filed, number of IPOs going on at any point of time. Mm including the SME market, right? The two to, two to three companies today, which are always going for listing, applying for IPO or raising money. So I don't think there's a challenge in the market for liquidity. I think the challenge is primarily the pricing that we are doing. If you're going to continue to keep overpricing the IPOs, there will be a pushback and there will be a challenge in the market. I think the markets need to start, uh, or the founders, the bankers, the investor community needs to start pricing a little bit more attractively and let the company perform and automatically realize the best value for this company. Arun, I invite you to add anything to this or any comments here. Yeah, I'm not completely agree with Sagar. You know, even in the best of times, the IPO window, you know, often opens and closes. You know, you could be in a bull market and again, you know, some IPOs will go for a pause and, you know, come back to the market. So a good example of that is Digit. Right, so the company obviously is well capitalized and is going. It's continuing to you know push forward with the IPO. So good companies, correct unit economics, like Sagar rightly said, well priced. You know will continue to go through. Some of these tech IPOs clearly have to look at valuations and convince you know the markets that receive them with open arms. You know in 2021 that you know they are still worth the attention of our you know institutional investors. Thank you, Arun and Sagar. Thank you for the valuable insights. This brings us to the end of today's edition of State of Economy podcast. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next episode.